well, this, uh, this is a unique day, Labor Day, right? It's always bittersweet. I don't know if you feel that too. It's like you, you're ready for the fall weather. It, some of you are really ready for new rhythms. Lamb's like, no, give me the, I want summer. Uh, but, but we hate to lose summer, right? So it's this bittersweet holiday at the beginning of September. Um, so, but here it is. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, in particular, kiddos, thank you. I am glad that you are here with us. Uh, this is, it's always good to have you in service with us today. Uh, those of you with kids and those of you without kids, those of you who are kids and those of you who aren't kids, thank you for joining us as well. It's not just about the kids today, right? It's about the family of God being together. I've got some friends here, some ushers coming down the aisle. If you uh, need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'd love to put that Bible into your raised hand. So uh, you can either use that, you can use the Uversion app, go to the events tab, click on LESC, you can follow along there. Would you please pray with me as we, we jump in to today's sermon? Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to, to worship you with our, with our family, with our brothers and sisters. Father, thanks for this privilege. Lord, it's, for many of us, it's been a long week. And our bodies this morning told us, why are we going to church? And yet our spirits said, I need to go to church. So Lord, I had a friend pray that this morning. It's so true. My, our hearts need to be reminded of these realities. So would you refill what's been forgotten? Would you refill and re-energize preparing us for this next week to live in such a way that honors and glorifies you? So thanks for these few moments, Father. We're again grateful to be able to worship you within this context this morning. We commit it to you, Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen. I just realized I didn't introduce myself. Matt, my name is Matt Sawada. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here on staff. And once again, it is a privilege to open God's word with you uh, this morning. I would like to begin with a question. And not even just begin with a question. My hope this morning is that I will help us all answer that question. It's probably a question that you've asked. I know I have. Maybe it's a question that you've wondered. Have you ever asked or wondered, why, why do we go to church? I have. Anyone else? Everyone else wondered why? I, you guys are better than I am. Why do we go to church? You see, I think that's a great question. I'm a former teacher, and I completely agree with the old adage that no question is a bad question. But I do think there are great questions and good questions. While no question is a bad question, not every question's a great one. And I think what, what differentiates good questions from great questions is clarity. I think a great question is driving towards clarity. So a way to frame this this morning would be, Dad, do I have to go to church? That's a good question. 
Dad, why do I have to go to church? That's a great question. Because I think this question is starting to, uh, it's starting to drill down to the why. I think we're starting to then answer some, some deeper things and hopefully arriving towards clarity. So I think this question, why do we go to church, is actually birthed out of a, um, out of a problem. Uh, everyone say this word with me, ecclesiology. Say it, ecclesiology. One more time, ecclesiology. You can go, you can say, I learned a word today. All right, the ecclesiology is a really fancy way of saying the doctrine of the church or the study of the church. And I think this question, why do we go to church, is birthed out of a really blurry ecclesiology. I don't think we have a very uh, good idea of what church actually is. And when we have a blurry ecclesiology, when that is vague, we begin to drift. And we lose sight of the why we actually do this thing called church. Uh, let me give you an example, a couple examples here, of ways that just the use of the word church creates a blurriness in our, in our mindsets. First example. And we've all said this in the last two years in particular, but have you ever said, uh, hey, this morning we are going to stream church today? That's probably a sentence we've all used. In today's vernacular, in today's uh, culture, that is, a, that is a really normal and accurate way to use the word. But if you were to say that sentence 50 years ago, hey, today we're gonna stream church. You'd wonder, why are we gonna go to church at the stream? <laughs> a bad attempt at humor, right? What, what, what's this stream church doing here? So when we say that, we're going to stream church today, we're referring to church as a service. It's probably something we're going to do online. This is another way we use the word church. This is a statement my wife and I say every time we drive through New England in particular. Hartford, Connecticut. We say this, wow, the churches here are beautiful. These are just beautiful churches. Or maybe you'd say, hey, you wanna come to our church? The address is 419 Pearson Road, Lidditz, Pennsylvania, 17543. When I say church in those sentences, what am I referring to? I'm referring to a building. So we can use church to talk about a service. We can use the word church to talk about a building. We can also use church in this manner. I think the church should, dot, dot, dot. Maybe you're gonna say, I think the church should uh, be more vocal about this. Or maybe I think the church should be less vocal about that. I think the church should put in a sand volleyball court. Any amens? Yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. But in that sentence, you're starting to refer to, to church as a, as a leadership that there's a decision-making group that should do or shouldn't do a certain thing. 
Church can be a service. Church could be a building. Church could be a leadership team. Church could be an organization. You might say, would you consider becoming a member of this church? Or lastly, you could say the church cared for me so well when so-and-so died. In that sense, the church is a body. The church is a group of people who actually exhibited mercy on your behalf. So you can see how this concept of church, this word church, is, is blurred by the way we speak about it. In five simple statements, I communicated that church can be a building, it can be a leadership team, it can be a, a church service, it can be an organization, or it could be a body. Our definition of this word or, or concept of church shapes, I think, then how we engage with church. And when we have a, a blurry definition of church, our engagement with church is blurry. And when we have a, a sharp, clear definition of church, I think our engagement and our expectations are as well. So LEFC, why do you come to church? How would you define church? I tried to do something, and kids, I'm gonna need your help. So kids, uh, yep, that's you. I said kids, and the little one's perked right up. She's awake now. Uh, I tried to draw church. All right, I'm not an artist. I'm gonna apologize for what you're about to see on the screen. Uh, what I would like you to do, kids, and I've got a stack of these from first service, would you take a piece of the paper and draw church for me? You're gonna have a couple examples, but I think you can probably do it better than Pastor Matt could. Would you draw church and then put your name on it and then bring it up to me and then tell me, tell me a little bit about your drawing? I'd love to hear it. Uh, so I, I took a, a couple minutes and tried to draw church. The first way that I drew church looked like this. Church is a building with some crooked walls, a triangle roof, and no windows. All right, this church has a steeple, and the steeple is a cross. All right, so the way we would draw church in this context, it's brick and mortar. That is a picture of a church. The next way I tried to draw church was this. Church as a local body, the same kind of tilted walls. Thankfully, it looks a little different than this church, but it does have a name on it. This is called a local church. A local church has a geographic location. And there's a group of people who are committed to that local church. And in this case, they're all smiling. We have a really happy congregation. The next way I tried to draw church, and it's not just a building, it's not just a, a local body, it's a, it's a universal church. Right, this universal church is, is worldwide. And I tried to take those same crooked buildings and smiling faces and depict that there, there are a lot of them. And this is what's called the Big C Church. And the Big C Church is a collection of all of the redeemed who say so. This isn't limited to just 419 Pearson Road. This is church worldwide. And lastly, <laughs> this one was a little rougher, 
I tried to draw the, the church that's called the invisible church. You see, the invisible church is similar to the universal church, except that it's always, right? This, this invisible church began at Pentecost in Acts 2 and ends in Revelation 3. And you can see a timeline on the bottom of it. I just kept, I kind of cheated. I just copied my universal picture. And, uh, and I, I drew a timeline on the bottom. You see, this invisible church is the church that only God can see. Because it is the past, the present, and the future all wrapped into one group. This is a grand connection. So kids, would you do me a favor and draw church for me? I would love to see how you could do that. Well, kiddos, as you draw church for me, I'm gonna try to answer the question, what exactly is a church? In, a, in their book, uh, Rediscover Church, Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen give a beautiful definition of what church is. They say this, a church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly assembly of Christ's heavenly kingdom to do three things, to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and ordinances are like things like baptism and communion, and then to display God's own holiness and love through a united and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. Beautiful definition. If you want to read the book, I've got it. You can borrow it. He takes this definition, and basically each chapter takes a different phrase explaining his ecclesiology. Remember, study of the church. Simply put, biblically, the church is a group of disciples who gather to worship God our Father by encouraging, equipping, and sharing the good news under the leadership established by God. That's a church. You know, LEFC, church is God's plan A. And he does not have a plan B. Church is the mechanism, it's the vehicle in which the whole New Testament is actually formed around. You think about it. The beginning of Acts 2, all the way through uh, John, the Apostle John, writing to the seven churches in Revelation it is all done, either written, all of these letters and epistles were written either to a local church or written in the context of a local church. Tom Rainier says that. He says the local church is the dominant topic in the Bible after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Indeed, the entirety of the New Testament from Acts 2 to Revelation 3 is either about the local church or written in the context of the local church. And Jesus himself took time to begin to form this thing called the church. In Matthew 16, he changes the name of one of his disciples. And he said, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he basically says, the church is my vehicle and it is victorious, and it will be victorious in the long run. Could you imagine being Peter, saying, oh my word, <laughs> like I'm the rock you're building this on? 
That's heavy. But what a blessing. And so I think that to paint the picture, or to draw the picture way better than I did, of what a church should look like, God uses imagery. You got one? Perfect. God uses imagery. He uses metaphors and, and these word pictures of, of what the, the church should be like. And so uh, I'm going to challenge you, double dog dare you, this, this week, look through the New Testament and try to come up with a list of all the metaphors, all the images God uses to depict the church. I would love that email. All right, if you do it, send it to me. I'll grade you. Just kidding. This morning, we're going to look at four. Really quickly, we're going to run through four metaphors that, that's, that God uses to paint the picture of what this thing is. What, what, this, what is the church? So the first metaphor I'd like to consider this morning is one mentioned in Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, Paul says this. He says, we are a family, and as a church, we are considered his bride. Right? In Ephesians 5, you get this parallel context of a husband and wife and Christ in the church. And then if you look throughout all of the rest of the New Testament, you see them talking about brothers and sisters. They're talking about God being the father. You're talking about Christ being, we are co-heirs with Christ, meaning we are brothers with Christ. All of this family language, I think, is explained in Ephesians 5. We're going to kick off in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the, the head of the wife, get this, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. Each time it's talking about her, it's talking about the church. So just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church, to make the church holy, cleansing the church by the washing with water through the word, and to present the church to himself, to Christ, as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, this is a, a relationship that is family-esque. And the, the heart here is Jesus is interacting with his bride, the church, and he has already done the work to present us as pure and stainless and wrinkleless. This is what he's already done. Husbands, it's similar to how you care and love for your wife. There's a selflessness here. There's an inclusion. There's a love. There's a relation. There should be a safety in this relationship. And I would say uh, that this is a, a beautiful picture of the gospel. Tim Keller says that in the church, we have to deliberately let ourselves be transparent and accountable because we are a family. This should be a safe place. Unfortunately, outside of the church, within culture, family is a broken image. 
I'd be hard-pressed to find a dozen families in this room who have not been affected by divorce in some way or another. It's an unfortunate reality. And so in many cases, family is a skewed concept. It's a, this is a metaphor that, that is tough within our culture to preach on because I think families have been under attack. And there should be a, a safety here. There should be no abuse here. There should be no abuse within, within families. While there's sin, this should also be safe. So by loving well as of this familial love, right, we, we should create a place where people are welcomed. And so we're not just to be a family, we're also to be a body. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul is writing back to the church in Corinth. And he tells them this. I'm gonna read a couple verses here. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You know, Paul drives that point home, that you might be an ear, and you might be a hand, and you might be an eye, and you might be the nose, and I'm the foot and we're all important. And he goes on to say, we're actually all not just important, we are all indispensable. And we are all to be honored. And so whether you're, you're changing diapers in Kidman or serving coffee, you can figure out which one is more important, right? Both are essential. Whether you're on the parking team, whether you're handing out Bibles, whether you're teaching in ABFs or leading us in worship, your role's important. Part of the purpose of a body is to discern what kind of giftings God has blessed you with. Because it's within a body that those gifts then become evident. No one's more important because they're all important. And our America, right, our, our culture around us is screaming against this. Because this is basically saying, you shouldn't just come and consume, you should come and contribute. Because if you're an ear, we need you. And what, a, what culture is trying to tell us is that, hey, it's all about you. This is not about us. They would say, come and consume because there's a cost to contribute. But that's not how God scripted this. You're important. Your presence is important and your contribution is indispensable. 
And so we're called to be a family, we're called to be a body, we're also called to be a flock. And this is a, this is a pretty dynamic image here. Luke wrote in the book of Acts, chapter 20, and he's kind of going back to when Paul was saying farewell to the elders in Ephesus. So he's talking, Paul is talking to these leaders, and he says in verse 28, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Peter reemphasizes this in 1 Peter chapter 5. And in 1 Peter 5, he speaks to, can't get there, there we go. Because I'm in 2 Peter, there aren't five chapters in 2 Peter, that helps. He says this, chapter 5 verse 1, he says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but being eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Church, we're, we're a flock. And God's given us godly leaders to help guide us and lead us. Think about Psalm 23. This shepherd leads our flock to still waters and green pastures. That's what our elders do. God has given us people to guide us. Ephesians 4, verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people, to equip, to equip his flock for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we are a flock. Yeah, I just called you a sheep. Actually, kids, if you would draw me a picture of a sheep, I would love that. So I'd like a church picture, but I'd also like a sheep picture. And so we are like sheep in need of protection. We are in need of care. We are in need of wisdom. And we have people who model that for us. They are examples. Just as the chief shepherd leads, so do these under shepherds. And that's needed. Again, culturally, this is countercultural because we have a very individualistic culture. And it, admitting this need is so difficult. We need one another. Culturally, that is seen as weakness. Biblically, that is seen as wisdom. I need you. Right, I sit in the, the front row on, on the mornings like this and I get to hear you sing all those songs through my ears, right? Sitting in the front is actually a blessing. Everyone likes to go in the back. Sitting in the front is a blessing because we get to hear you first. 
and you don't get to hear me, <laughs> right? I'm off tune. But we need each other, and when we worship like that, when a group of the redeemed say so, man, we're preaching this truth to each other. And we need that. So we're not just a family trying to create this safe place, this inclusive opportunity to do life here. We're not just a body who is made up of many parts to honor him effectively. We're not just a flock with shepherds to, to guide and protect us. But more importantly that, we are a family body and a flock whose head is Jesus. We are his body that he has significantly sacrificed for. And you see this, same book, Ephesians 1, verse 22. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He, Paul says a similar thing in Colossians chapter one. And he says this, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christ is the head of this body. He is the one that we can find all fullness found in him. And to be a part of his body, we are called then to die to self. Very counter-culturally. He is the reason we come to church. It's in this place, with this family, in the context of this body, that I am reminded of what he's done and I am encouraged to live it out. It's in this context, in this family, and in this body that you are reminded of what he's done and encouraged to live it out. Remember, biblically, the church is a group of disciples who gather to worship God the Father by encouraging, equipping, and sharing the good news with each other under the leadership established by God. We are a part of this family. We are a part, an indispensable part of this body. Every single sheep in this flock is important. His body, that's us. He's our head. And he has sacrificed his life. And by doing so, allows us to be included in this thing called a church. So how would you answer this question this morning? Why do you come to church? How would you answer it? I hope that our time this morning has sharpened your understanding just a little bit. It's kind of brushed away the blurriness of what church is. And I think one of the greatest lies that our culture is screaming is the watering down of the church. When we water down our big word, ecclesiology, we're in trouble. Because I think a soft ecclesiology, a blurry or a vague picture of what the church is isolates. And picture this, we're a flock, 200 of us here this morning, 500, I don't know, I can't count that high. 
You got, you got a big group of people. We're all flock. We're all sheep. But you have that one sheep wandering alone. A soft ecclesiology encourages isolation. And that sheep wandering alone is now in trouble. That sheep is in danger. And that's not a good thing. Colossians 1, Paul speaks to this. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, right? This is the sheep wandering away from the flock or being completely separated from the flock. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So what Christ has done is he has said, hey, little sheep, you're in. You're a part of this body, and you get to learn and grow and worship in this context. One of my favorite new authors, his name is Cameron Cole, he says this. He said, I want you to know that you are enough through Christ. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to impress anyone. If you trust in God's grace through Christ, rather than your own spiritual performance, you will know the Lord has made you perfectly acceptable in his eyes. There is nothing more to prove. Rest in comfort through Christ that you are enough. You are enough. And this morning we get to partake of communion together. And when we take communion, we are basically reminding ourselves and preaching to those around us that through Christ, and only through Christ, we are enough. See, communion is a reminder of this sacrifice. It's that it's only through his body and blood that we can say that, that we can identify with his death and then be cleansed by his blood. So church, it's not about what you do. It's not about perfect attendance. I'm not gonna give you a, a certificate for being here 52 weeks in a row. That's not earning you anything, to be honest with you. But what it's doing is it's modeling and it's reminding yourself, modeling a strong ecclesiology and it's reminding yourself of the grace that's been extended to you. Church, his death has freed us from the pressure to perform, allowing us to counterculturally engage in church. And when you're not here, you're missed. You're missed. Would you please sing this with us? Let's take this time to prepare our hearts in reflection and singing as we prepare for communion. to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart and I'll bring you more than a song 
your song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. So, King of Endless Worth. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. And though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. And I'll bring you more than song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart and I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i've made it when it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, this morning we have the privilege of taking communion. Remember those pictures that I tried to draw? Anyone who knows Christ is considered to be a part of the, the universal or even the invisible church. Anyone who has made that redeemed moment decision is more than welcome to join with us in communion this morning. Remember, this is, it's not a... Re it is a reminder not only of God's sacrifice of his son, but, but of our new identity because of Christ. Communion gives us an opportunity to examine ourselves, a lot like that song just led us through. It's that process of identifying what, where is this darkness of sin and exposing it to the light of Christ. So let's take about 30 seconds. 
And, and in this 30 seconds, as you sit in his presence, identifying the idolatry of the past few days, would you begin to not only remove those idols, confessing them, but begin to replace them with Christ by clinging to the promises found in scripture. So let's take 30 seconds and just go before the Lord. So this bread, this bread reminds us of the new identity we have in Christ. Reminds us of the fact that we've stopped worshiping all these other idols, these random things, and have allowed Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of God, to also reside in our hearts. And it's because of this heart change that we have the resources of Christ allowing us to live this new life. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's through the shed blood of Christ on the cross that God has provided us redemption from sin. We've been bought back, church. We've been set free. Through the shed blood of Christ on the cross, his blood now covers each one of us. And God now sees Christ in his per perfection rather than Matt in his grossness. He, he sees Christ it was his death on the cross that has satisfied the debt that we owe. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So open your cup and take it together. LESC, would you please stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the new life we have in Christ. We thank you for the the opportunity we now have because of Christ to be a part of his body. We once were alienated and now have been brought into this flock. So Father, we thank you 
for the life-changing reality of your son, Jesus. Father, I pray today that we would quickly identify the things that are, that are idols in our lives. So we'd quickly identify the things that are prohibiting us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. Help us, Father, to remove those and then replace those with your son, Jesus. Father, we're grateful for Christ, for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. And consider it an honor to worship him who sits at your right hand. We love you, Father. We thank you. Amen. Let's sing these timeless words together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So, today, I'd like to encourage you to just think about how do you use the word church? What does church mean to you? And why do you actually attend church? I hope you take me up on the challenge to just look for some metaphors in scripture of how, how does God see the church? Because it's a beautiful study. I know I'm here because I need you. I need to be reminded of the gospel. And that is beautifully on display within this body. So thank you for ministering to me in the way you love, care, worship, and model Christ. Thanks for being an extension of his grace to me and to each other. You are needed. Find a way to contribute, connect into community, and serve him in this local body. If you have needs, we would, again, like to be the body and pray for you. We've got some friends in the encounter room back to my left who would love to come alongside and just pray with you, to talk with you. Kids, I want to see your pictures. Please bring them up to me up front. I hope you have a great holiday weekend. You're loved. Have a good day.